Welcome to Thinking Reimagined. Thinking Reimagined is a unique platform for thoughts provoking intergenerational dialogue in a diverse and inclusive setting with a focus on impactful change in the global workplace and community. Our stakeholders' conversations aim to spark thought, leadership, curiosity, engagement, collaboration, and learning amongst individuals, teams, and beyond. Enjoy, Enjoy this episode. episode and subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and other outlets. From bullying to kidnapping, ritual killings, online fraud, and a growing number of -of out-of-school children, Nigeria has been in the news for all the wrong reasons recently, particularly with what appears to be a failing educational system. And a few stories come to mind. It's still very fresh on our minds. Hanifa Abubakar's killing in Kano, uh, Sylvester Romani's alleged torture in Lagos, the, what has now become the Yahoo Yahoo ep- epidemic, you know, and young people's involvement in ritual killings. Dr. Ahmad, there must be a way all these news items connect. Perhaps something it's saying about our society, right? Well, I think so, Nifemi. Hello, everyone that's joined us today. Thank you for being here. And uh, we really enjoy having your um, thoughts and insights and wisdom as we tackle this subject, which, as many of you know, we started... uh, a discussion last week. I don't know, Nifemi, there is something going on. Incidentally, Nifemi, last week when you spoke, you said that there were 10.5 or 10.3 million children out of school in Nigeria. But uh, unfortunately, because of my technology challenges, I wasn't able to um, interject. The number is actually higher because according to um, UNICEF in 2021, there were 13.2 million Nigerian students or children out of school aged children out of school. And I actually believe that the number is much higher. I mean, when you think about COVID, when you think about the insecurity, the ones in the north where the schools were shut down, um, the number is much higher than that. And anyone who has been on our platform, our social media platform would have seen the video trending right now from yesterday, I believe it was, where the governor was going somewhere and uh, stopped because he saw two girls um, carrying buckets. It sounded like they were carrying buckets of pepper and tomatoes and stuff to go and grind, a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old. And he seemed absolutely um, concerned and shocked that this was going on. But all of us on this planet, on this platform and beyond, we do know that this is going on. So the system is crumbling. We know that the system is not getting adequate funding. Um, We know that many people who are going into education are not trained teachers. Um, We know that there's insecurity. I mean, there's just a myriad of challenges that face um, children in school, in Ni- going to school in Nigeria, staying in school in Nigeria and beyond. So I am curious to find out what the panel is going to share with us today, aren't you, Nifemi? Well, I look forward to a very exciting conversation, Dr. Amma. 
and it's pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, it's really amazing, the huge number of out-of-school children. And so I saw the governor yesterday. Many of the reactions online have been, okay, it's good to pay the school fees for two girls, but I hope that um, government is also paying attention to the over 2 million out-of-school children um, in Lagos. And I'm sure that that figure is very, very, um, very conservative. Let me introduce um, our other panelists on this particular episode. We're joined by BC Alamin, public speaker and blog writer, Miss Abby, also an educationist and author, Peter Ahmed Boyo, actor, filmmaker and writer. Dr. Ama is wearing the cap of an educationist and a behavioral consultant on this particular one. Welcome on board, everyone. Please consider these an open conversation where you're free to follow up um, the other speakers thought at will, even if it's not your turn. I will only ask that you indicate first with a message or by raising your hand before speaking. I will also advise that if there are other participants joining us as guests on Zoom, you can also be a part of this conversation, send in your message, raise your hand, and we have your questions in the course of the program. So let's shoot. Uh, let's begin with Dr. Uh, 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 with Miss Abby. I'd like to hear your reaction. Well, I can see the... that Miss. Yes. You know, Nifemi, we had somebody else's hand up prior to that, and we need to pay attention because it looks like uh, I know you want Abby to speak, but we need to keep an eye on Mr. Boyo did raise his hand because he wanted to say something. Yeah, I, I, I think I think I was so baptized in your school of thought <laughs> that I go with women first. Uh, Mr. Boyo, I guess it's your time, isn't it? Oh, thank you. Very good. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thank you, Nifemi, for acknowledging me and Dr. Arma. Um, I just wanted to add to what you were saying about the governor in the video yesterday. I saw that video and I was actually surprised that he was surprised to see school kids out of school during school hours. I was like, everybody on the planet, not on, just on this platform, knows that a lot of kids are out of school. So I was surprised that he was surprised and fine. I applaud him for paying the school fees of those two kids, but what about the other kids? Why not set up a system where there's free education for all the kids or, or do something, not just the two kids. Two kids out of 12 million kids, what are we saying? So mm -hmm. I just wanted to add that little bit of my opinion. I am surprised that you are surprised that the governor is surprised because if you're a <laughs> governor, and uh, you have a lot of cameras around you and that happens, you know, what you do for, for the photos. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just pure and applied politics. It's as simple as that. But I hope that um, the conversation will not stop there and that, uh, you know, Nigerians will keep asking their leaders to do what they are voted to do, as it were. Ms. Abi, I can't see any other hand up, so I'm coming to you right away. I, uh, Dr. Ama is laughing. <laughs> I, I think you consider that funny, right? No, that's the other Dr. Ama. You know, the, I have a split personality. <laughs> oh my, oh, 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 oh. There are two Dr. Amas on this conversation. I, I get it now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> Ms. Abi, let's have your reaction to all of this. Good afternoon, everyone. And I'm happy to be here today. I, um, you know, the way I answer my questions is not, is to 
begin by explaining that uh, we should not generalize and we should not be too particular on this issue because we cannot solve the problem of education without looking at the society at large. Okay, so if we start off by saying that so many more children are out of school than the figures that have been postulated, the reality is actually if all the children were in school, how do we check up on, how do we know that all the children are in school? So what happens if a child isn't at school? What does the school do? Would the child call the parents and say, where is your child? Because this is the case in the West, let's say the US, the UK, Europe. If a child doesn't turn up at school, the, par the school will call up the house to say, hello, why is Anna not at school today? I hope she's feeling well. They will actually call up. And if they don't get you for two, three days, in some states, they will actually come to your house to find out what is going on? Because it could be the case where the parents have fallen sick and the child is not able to use the phone. There's actually a degree of duty, that the duty of care is so high in the education system that they would actually come out. So the reality is, even if all the children were at school legitimately, how do we check on the children that aren't in school, maybe for a week or two? The issues are far and wide because the reality is we're talking about free education now and the free education provided by the government is actually below zero if they have to provide everything themselves if they have to provide sometimes desks and chairs and books and stationery if they have to provide their own uniform they have to provide so much there's nothing really there in the system to help the parents even if all the children, even if there was free education for all the children, it's not just about the education. It's not just about the teachers. And I want to just move this point forward that if the government was to be totally responsible for education, shouldn't they be responsible for other things as well? Because in the sense that a child that is going to school has to be healthy, healthy mind, healthy body. We cannot do this in isolation of a good health system. It goes hand in hand. So we're asking the government to do more than just provide a good education. We're asking them to provide a good overall platform environment for the children to learn. That's what I'd like to put forward, that it's not something we can look at in isolation. We have to look at everything into, in the totality of what it is that Nigeria can afford to educate all its students. We know how much money is made in oil revenues. Today only Shell, um, it was on the news, sorry, yesterday that Shell made a profit of, I can't remember whether it's 100 billion or 50 billion just in a year. And we know that we have many oil companies in Nigeria making a lot of money. So when it comes to corporate responsibility, we can't even ask the corporations to fend for Nigeria or to fund the, the education, the government itself can afford to do this. I get your point, Ms. Abi. I also think that the problem yeah. is even deeper in the sense that, you know, it's one thing to give free education to every child. But the question is, does the government even know the number of children in Nigeria? I mean, this is the country where an abduction takes place in a school and the school principal cannot even tell you the number of schools registered, I mean, the number of students registered in the school. <laughs> So it, it's a huge challenge. I mean, I'm not sure 
Mr. President can account for the number of Nigerians in this country. We don't even have a robust data system. We also uh, have to be careful, Nifemi, when it comes to yes. the numbers, that even if we had the official number of children, wouldn't there be ghost children attending school, collecting books, collecting uniforms, collecting food tickets and all these things? So uh, the, the corruption is fund, you know, fundamental in the system. So fundamentally there in the system. So we need to get rid of that. You're right, Nifemi. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Exactly what I'm saying, that uh, we, we can't cater to a people that we don't even, that we cannot account for. So the federal government recently mentioned that it's going to take its school feeding program out of school and that it will start feeding st um, students out of school. So the federal government is now going to begin to feed out of school children. And um, you begin to wonder, okay, so it's not just about feeding out of school children. It's not what they eat, really. It's the education they get that determines whether uh, they are going to, you know, have a bright and better future. It's the huge well, um, conversation, Dr. Amma. Well, you know, it's interesting that you, I mean, you've both brought up some really interesting points and um, Angelic Troublemaker, I do know you're there. So please forgive me if I interjected it whilst you wanted to say something. Um, to Abby's point, we do need to revamp the system. There's no doubt about it because um, we need to understand why we're educating students. Why do we want them to go to school? And what is the overall benefit of them being in school, how does that change their life strategy? Um, the, or, or, yeah, trajectories, excuse me, mm -hmm. not strategy, but yeah, both of them. That is one of those questions that we need to address. But um, as Abby said, there is more, more to it than just putting children in classrooms and educating them or claiming that we're educating them because we must take care of their welfare. And I think she's going back to the point about having um, some infrastructure in place. I mean, when you talk about health, you need to talk about the basic health, care, home care, hospital care, all of those things. Um, when you talk about the mental well-being, I am not aware of any schools in Nigeria where there is even a psychologist on, on ground or counselor to support these children with some of the traumatic in, um, situations that they deal with, whether at home or in the school system. So the whole system truly does need to be revamped. The reason that the school program, the school feeding program was making some inroads is because it was a way of keeping children in school or attracting them to come to school. They were coming to school for that one meal that they will have in a day. Um, and parents were eager to get them to school because they knew that they will have a meal there. When you think about the poverty level, being able to get a meal a day was, was necessary um, and important. It, it was less of a burden for those parents. So taking the feeding program out of the school, I don't know that that's really going to be the solution. And we need to start talking about some of the solutions that are necessary. Um, to improve the learning, the engagement, the skills building. Um, I don't know if people recognize that the Child Rights Act only guarantees structured education until age 14 in Nigeria. What happens after age 14? If you're going to develop this system, if you're going to develop your citizens, education needs to have a priority. It's beyond funding, it's beyond food. Um, 
they need to be ready to integrate and and socialize and learn and work with others in the long run. So um, we do need to do a lot of work. It's necessary here, but we need to highlight some of the key solutions that will be necessary for learning to be engaging and profitable and beneficial for those students later on in life. Absolutely, Dr. Thomas, um, no. Sorry, Dr. Amma is totally correct. And I just wanted to say something. I just, uh, when Dr. Amma was talking about how do you know how many children, actually it's the government's responsibility to know how many children are in school. Typically in a country, when a woman gives birth, the hospital registers the birth, whether the birth is at home or at the hospital. Yes, this is typical in, in, in the West. Whether you decide to have your child with a midwife at home or by yourself with your partner, whichever way, you know, the government has to know that you've had a child. And that is how they keep the paperwork of where each child is and the number of children within each constituency, within each state. And every child has to go to school. Otherwise, the parents are taken, you know, well, they're persecuted, actually. They're prosecuted, sorry. They're taken to court. It's against the law to have a child at home. Whether the child has a learning difficulty, they, they will send a bus to come and get your child at home to get the child to school. So there has to be a marriage between the health system, actually, and the education system, whereby people feel they have no choice but to register this birth with the government. Mm. So even if you have your child abroad, like, a lot of people do. They'll have their child in America or they'll have their child in another country and they'll come back. You still need to tell the immigration you're bringing this child into the country. That's where immigration comes in. So all the federal bodies should be working together to get the numbers in order for a proper system for the infrastructure to be changed so that we actually know how many children we're catering for and how we can cater for them. In South Africa, they had something called the Bantu education system, which was a racist system where the white children were taught differently, uh, white African children from the black children. But they still had a number of children. And they said, look, the rural children can't learn as quickly as the children in the cities, but we still have an obligation to educate them. Despite how despicable the system was, they still try to educate every child, whether they're in the rural areas or the urban areas. Uh. So Can I just add one last thing, and if yes. I may, to um, what Abby just shared. Um, even in this, even in the case where the children cannot, or the parents choose to educate their children at home, they're still held responsible for the curriculum that the other children are learning at home. And they do get follow-up visits to ensure that they are educating these children. So there are no checks and balances over here and anything just seems to go. So the system needs to be revamped and it takes everybody's efforts, you know, from the parents to the government to all stakeholders need to get involved in what's going on here. Surprisingly, I mean, if we have a record of the people going to church, <laughs> sorry, angelic troublemaker would like this part, <laughs> but it seems like more people go to church or religious uh, uh, functions or you know places whether it's Quranic school or Quranic or the mosque then they go to school I'm not sure whether that's correct but it, it seems like there's more of an obligation to do that than go to school and of course the government me, is doing anything are better run than government in Africa I mean but I just don't want to go there Bisti, is there a simple solution to this big problem 
No, no. And that's the simple answer to a very complex question <laughs> that you've asked. There is no simple solution to, to this problem. And um, just in case if I go off, I'm going to come back again. Um, Nigeria is a very complex project, really, really complex project. It, and it's not just education, it's about security, it's about employment, it's about healthcare, it's about every infrastructure. So to fix Nigeria, I know it's a difficult solution, but we need to break it down. Um, unless we break Nigeria down, we will not be able to, to fix Nigeria. But let, let, let's come back to the conversation around education. It's very interesting because our focus now is on kids that are out of school. Let us talk about kids that are in school and look at the number of undereducated people we have in our schools and the impact that this is having, not just on our economy, but on the ability of Nigerians to have intellectual discourse about the future of the country. Because education is very important. It creates the bedrock for us to see things, to discuss things, to reason things, to ask questions, to be curious, and to find and it is not a mistake that Nigeria education system is like this. And I'm sure that for those of us that are on this call, I grew up, I'm trying to sound very old now, that grew up in the 70s. We went to school under uh, our world world with free education. Our books, our uniforms, the desk, and everything were provided for. Up until secondary school education, free of charge. Uh, last time when I was in Lagos, I went to my secondary school, a poor boys side school, the first indigenous missionary school in Nigeria, 1913. That was when that school was built. Kids don't have chairs. Teachers don't have chairs. So old boys will have to buy chairs for teachers to sit in. There's absolutely nothing in that school. This school should be ranking at the same level with the likes of King's College, Baptist Boys, but because this is a school built by a Nigerian for Nigerian, nobody cares. And it is intentional because if the boy from the slum of Ikorodu or, or Makoko has the same level of education with the child of a, of a politician, you're creating a competitive market that questions the ability of the child of a politician who had to go to Harvard, the right that they have to have access to employment over the child that is from Mushi or Ukraine. These things are deliberate. Because if that child is educated, he has the means to question the status quo and the infrastructure in the country. So what do we do? Let's create half-baked, educated or not educated people don't care about them. And every election cycle, we give them 500 naira. I'm surprised that people are surprised that Sonwolu went about doing a photo shoot. That's not a mistake. That's, that, was not, that was not by mistake that that happened. Election is next year. They need those pictures. They need those things to brainwash the undereducated Nigerians from the reason why they had to vote for them. This is a very complex, really, really complex uh, 
problem. And they know that if you take education away from people, you're taking away their integrity and it is intentional. You are listening to Thinking Reimagined, sponsored by Allied Empowerment. So this is talking about the quality of education for the Nigerian children that are currently being educated. And that's very key. i like us to just observe a little twist in this conversation and begin to look at how that impacts directly on some of the news that we have watched in recent days, a situation where I think Live Abundantly uploaded a video on Instagram, some teenagers seeking where to learn um, online fraud, what is popular in Nigeria as Yahoo Yahoo. Um, it's also what has, I believe is a ripple effect on the many ritual killings involving young Nigerians. So this is the deal. Since our society is highly monetized, undergraduates, children, they observe those who have gone to school and how they're battling to get jobs. And a few of them who have been able to get jobs are looking at how slow their life, how slow and how, how long it's taken for their lives to pick up. They compare it with those who have um, fraudulent characters who, who have compromised a little here and there and are making big money. So they decide for themselves, why go to school? Why spend a long time in school? I went to a school where my colleagues who studied medicine did like 10 years in school to study medicine. I did like five or six years to, to, to have a BTEC in agriculture. I mean, that's a cost that wouldn't take more than three years to study outside this country. So they're smart. They call them the generation, the, the generation Z. They observe that. Why, why take so long a time to go through an education system that will not pay you anything? After all, you're going to be half-baked. So they take the easier way out. Um, we saw the story in Ogun State of three friends, young guys. I mean, I think the oldest was 20. Killed a 15-year-old girlfriend, burnt the head for rituals. I like to just throw this open. Do you think it is a function of um, our society being highly monetized? Because I also do not think that money should be the reason why we go to school. Um, can I come in here? Um, first of all, I was trying to get one of my um, youth, but she's not on. She said something to me in our discussion a few weeks back, and I wanted her to come on the broadcast. But she said this to me. Why is it that boys are treated differently from girls in our society? And why is it that in most families, they feel that girls should not be overly educated. They don't need to go to school. See, the way she put it is, we don't need to go to school too much. So that already is the mindset, not in your average family, but in a lot of homes. So the pressure is put on boys to bring home the bacon as we speak. And through social media, through whatever you want to call it, they're seeing other kids with um, houses, money, but you don't know where that money is coming from. Now it's a norm to be flamboyant and um, show off. And they, they're thinking that by performing these rituals or whatever you call it, because I don't know what they do, but whatever you call it, the Yahoo Yahoo the rituals, that is the only way to make fast money because the pressure from the parents, I blame parents because parents put a lot of pressure on young kids who are not mature enough to have the common sense that this is not the way 
I know of kids that are 15, 16, and their parents are already pressuring them to bring home money. Fine, there's poverty and everything, but what happens to hard work? What happens to oh, um, honest living? Because we don't have good examples from the parents themselves. I don't know if it's the level of poverty or if it's just the corruptness of our society or what, but that is the mindset that is going on right now. And we can sugarcoat it as much as we want, but that is what is happening. Well, it's interesting you should say that because um, what I, what Nifemi, for me, what Nifemi was re referencing is a change in the value system. We do not place value on learning. We do not place value on skills. We do not place value on the career path that will get you where you need to go. The emphasis is on quick money, flamboyant um, behavior and um doing something that is out of the norm so that you can be noticed. This need to be seen, even if what you're doing is inappropriate and it's nonsensical. So we have changed up, the value system has changed and that needs to be addressed. And that starts with parents. In the case of the three boys that we're referencing here, they said their parents knew that they were going away. The parents, for lack of a better word, basically said, go ahead, help yourself. You might as well go and learn a skill set so you can make money. That in its way is a form of trafficking. And then these yes. children will come back to come back to their homes or send money to their parents. In the meantime, I think one of them said he was 12 and the other two were 14. I thought they were younger than that. But regardless of what their ages were, um, they're following a trend that exists to make money. I mean, this is a system where they are looking up to politicians and, excuse me, they're looking up to politicians and those that they believe are in positions of power, but power shifts. Power is ephemeral. It's going to go away in no time. And these people you're looking up to can't formulate a, a complete sentence or say anything that's synthetically or semantically accurate for you to even think that they're representing you. It's just a warped value system that needs to be changed. And parents need to play a role. Communities need to play a role in, in changing that mindset. It's why we have this platform to change the mindset. Um, Nobody is looking up to their teacher and recognizing where there are good teachers, the dedication and the tools that they're showing and modeling for them. Um, and so we end up with university graduates who don't know some of the most basic things that anywhere else in the world they can pick up. We're not even encouraging them to be self-learners. You know, I teach you this, you regurgitate and I give you a first class degree. What utter nonsense. If you can't do firsthand research, if you can't pick up Google and learn, if you can't teach yourself certain things, then what is the essence of a first class degree when you can't formulate a sentence or you can't be self-motivated or you can't be self-directed? It's, it's just completely off the rail right now. Thank you, Dr. Amma. That was, um, <laughs> it, it, I can sense your, your frustration with the system and uh, we're all frustrated with the system. I want to give a different perspective on this. I have to say that um, as somebody that's looking uh, to better educate parents, I, I will always say this, that a parent can only give as much as they have. You know, a lot of these parents 
do not have what it takes to parent their children the way they do to. Not only is there the moral bankruptcy that's uh, endemic in our society, there's also the situation that where they could get the information about parenting, they are not getting the information. That's from their communities, that's from their religious organizations, that's from their support systems. They are not getting the information on how to parent their children. All they sit there to talk about is money. If we take India, for example, which has a lot of people in, in there as well, the population of India is a lot, just like in Nigeria, we get Indian graduates that come to England and they assimilate very quickly in the university system, in the school system. They take their education very, very seriously. In the medical field in the UK, the Indians and the Nigerians are known to be the best doctors. In most actually fields, the Indians and the Nigerians top. What is the difference between top the fields? What's the difference between the, 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 the way the Indians think and the Nigerians? This is a generalization. It is the morality. It is the moral standing of the, and the family values. I think that's where things have broken down because the family systems have broken down. The children are not being brought up as children. They're having to grow up way too quickly. The parents are out of sorts as to what to do. There is nothing bringing them together. Because I'll be honest with you, all the call up, the call lines, we call the, the phone companies or we call this company, they're all Indians. They're all sourced out to, to Indian companies. Why can't we source them out to Nigerian companies? The problem is the education system. The education system is terrible. Indians don't sit around saying, oh, the government, this, the government, that, the government, this. They actually take a lot of responsibility themselves and the family systems themselves take responsibility. This is my child, my child will bring me shame. I'm not saying the Indian um, structure is the best because obviously they have their arranged family system which is frowned upon, their arranged marriages, the, uh, the caste system, all those things are terrible. But I'm just trying to compare the way, uh, the, the, the national view of education and how education has helped better their lot in life. So back to what I was trying to say, the parents need help. The parents are unable to parent. They're not qualified to be parents. They don't know what it takes to be a parent. You know, from the most, uh, you know, the most comfortable parents who think it's just about giving money and giving shelter and not giving any moral education to the parents who don't have any financial capabilities to look after their, their children. So we need to go back and say, what can we do? Yes, this platform is there to help. There are many platforms to help, but there seems to be an over-reliance on the government is what I'm saying now. There needs to be, I don't know, maybe well-wishers, philanthropists setting up schools or something and saying, we are going to do it this way. You know, we've driven this conversation from identifying um, what government needs to do differently to improve the quality of education. We're talking now about values and the role the families must play in the society. BC, we are wrapping up now. I just want to hear your final thoughts on this. Uh, personally, I think that the economy robs up greatly on the society's value. Earlier on, you made reference to the days of Awolo when education was free. I also would think that the purchasing power of the average Nigerian has driven common sense completely out of them because if you can afford you know, basic amenities, then it's survival of the fittest. I mean, it's a, it's um, dog, it's dog here. People 
just want to survive. And the first thing that comes to their mind is how do I make money? It is why, you know, somebody is in the market and then you know, it's why people are dubious. It's why crime is on the increase. It's just a situation where people want to survive. I'd like you to talk to us about what you think is the way forward as we begin to tie all of this together. Um, thank you very much, Nathalie. Um, before I quickly address that, I want to address a few things. First, the thing that um, Mr. Sabi said. I don't think that morality has anything um, to do with it. I completely disagree with it. But also, I want to also say something that the reason why India is better uh, than Nigeria, they can be examples of the Jews. It's not about morality. I mean, the Indian system still has a caste system. There are a lot of, uh, you know, there is the child marriage, the issue of trafficking and all of those things. Even corruption with the current Prime Minister Modi. So there are all issues there. But I think it's the infrastructure. And this is what really matters. So when I talk about infrastructure, right, an average Indian child in school um, has a level of access to technology. No matter how small that access is, uh, it goes back to what Dr. Arma said about go to Google. You have to have a computer and the internet for you to be able to have access to Google. And access to um, internet has to not be too expensive. Uh, for you to be able to, you don't, you don't have to think about, do I get internet or do I eat? So the moment you have to make a decision between putting food on the table and having access to information and education, you or all of us know, understand that the first thing that will live with you will be education because people have to eat. And that is the situation where Nigerians are at the moment. So I don't think it's an issue that has to do with morality. And personally, we can take this, the example of the UK, where we have the best educational system in the world, or one of the best in the world. But, you know, in the last 10 years, we've produced the most corrupt politicians, and we're producing the most corrupt environment in the world. And this is open to anybody's interpretation, but we have one of the most corrupt, uh, corrupt prime minister ever in the history of this country and in the world. Education has nothing to do with that. Right? What we need are just basic infrastructure. And I guess the other thing that you know, I want to talk about is just now, while we're on this call, a friend sent me an Instagram page of a pastor who just bought one of the most expensive wristwatch in the world. Go on Instablog Ranger. And look at the stories that we talk about of wealth, of riches amongst Nigerians. I am trying at the moment to rent an apartment in Vegas, and they are giving me between six to ten million for a three-bed apartment in Ikoyi and Lekki. What is the average salary of a Nigerian? But there are people living. There are people who are living in those places where you don't get their money. So there's this first equation of wealth and what it can give to you and where it can take you. And unless we define that, 
which I don't think we can do in the next 20 years, but we can start a process of making us question what is important to us and where do we want to be? Who are struggling? Well, it brings me a lot of relief to know that data network can be bad in the UK. And I, can, you know. uh, I think he's on the move. I will, I will. I, he's on the move. He's walking. I will send him. That. I don't care whether he's on the move. Or not. He's on the Even move. You are on the move in Nigeria. The data is good here. Oh, yes. Everything's good. <laughs> oh, come on, Nifemi. Why don't you be honest about it? I think I, I, mean, I can hear you, Mr. Ama. You're in Nigeria. Peter, I can hear you very well. Miss Abby, I'm struggling to hear you. Oh, I, you can't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I think what Bissy said was actually very crucial. I think because of his network issues, he probably wasn't able to catch on when I said, you know, they have their own um, shortcomings in India as well with their, you know, the systems that work there with the uh, caste system and so on. But I, I wanted to just add as my final note that um, we cannot talk about Nigeria without, as Dr. Ama mentioned earlier, the, the traumatic state of things in Nigeria. You know, um, people underestimate the what everyone's going through. I think from the poor to the rich, they're all going through their own situations. And the fallout of this is that the children don't get the attention they need. Um, the fallout of this is that things, systems don't get improved, things don't get put in place, the infrastructure, we keep talking about the infrastructure being terrible, but who is going to fix the infrastructure? It is us that we're going to do it. Um, there are many success stories, but unfortunately, many people who are successful, with the exception of maybe Bisi Alimi, um, who have come from, you know, um, uh, let, let's say who have had a successful history, should I say, they, they do not want to share their story. They do not want, for whatever reason, they do not want to share their story. So we're left with a situation where we have to stand in the gap for these children. We have to say, what can be done? I, I suggested something uh, when I spoke last, which is why can the philanthropists not do something about this? Why do we have to leave it as the responsibility of the government? Why can't philanthropists come together and take responsibility for um, this part of the education, not the whole education system? I, Dr. Amma, you know more about how Nigeria works now than I do. Um, the, the amounts of wealth that, that the bandies around Nigeria, I mean, somebody, Bisi Alimi just spoke about a watch. A watch could be upwards of $1 million, right? Could be $1 million. And what would $1 million do? in terms of educating hundreds and thousands of families in Nigeria. So if that's the case that a philanthropist says, I want to help, who would he choose to actually put this in place? Again, we're back to square one, the people that he puts in place to monitor and to grow the school, to look after the school. Would they not be corrupt? Isn't the system corrupt in itself? I think Davido online, I think um, Uncle Peter, you know more about this, when he raised, I think, 150 million naira on his birthday, set up, said he set it up for orphanages and people were upset because they said uh, the leaders or the heads of the orphanages would steal the money, that we would never hear about this after the day. And he, they're probably right. We haven't heard anything about how the money's been dispersed. So how would money be dispersed, even if there were people willing to give the money? 
Yeah, you know, if I may just come in here because you raised a question about philanthropists, let's, I want to say this. I don't know that, well, let me not say this in this manner, but if I do, you know, I'm always honest and authentic as I can be. Do they even understand the, the theory, the ethos of being a philanthropist in the truest form of it? Because if you do, then there are enough people in this country as philanthropists, male or female, I have to say that, um, who can set up systems to write the educational system. Um, because the way it's going right now, waiting for the government to correct things isn't going to help. I don't think it's going to happen. I think this is uh, emergent, well, economy that could be emergent for another hundred years. If that's the case, then we have generations to come that are going to suffer from this inadequacy. So we do need to find, or we're going to suggest that people come together, whether it's in the community, whether it's in the bubble, to begin to think about how to correct this. Because when you do not educate people well enough or give them the skill sets that they need, you're going to have gaps in the business world, in the workplaces. <clears throat> and that is going to affect your productivity. It's going to affect performance. It's going to affect the economy in the long run. Um, we, we know about the brain drain. People have left in droves because they want a better life abroad. Uh, but at the same time, that those that are left behind are trying to pick up the pieces and get it done, but they don't have the tools that are necessary to move forward, to really have an impact in the way that we want it. So it's time for those who have the means to you know, roll up their sleeves, male or female, and begin to put in place initiatives to deal with this. To follow up on something else that Abby said was about parenting and the trauma, we, and she will understand this, the very first and fundamental relationship is that co-regulation that occurs with parents. If you fail to have a relationship with your children, they will later on grow up to not be able to self-regulate themselves. And then you will end up with a traumatic society as you have now in Nigeria. This is a traumatized society. This country is heavily traumatized and they have not even begun to understand how that is affecting their relationships with themselves, with others, the goals they're trying to meet or attain and everything else that's going on. There's some psychological issues here that also need to be dealt with. And, and um, we need more professionals who are dedicated to addressing these issues. I like that we're back at finding out what everyone can do to solve this problem. We have to go now. Uncle P, let me have your final thoughts on this. Uh, well, yes, um, I just want to add this. First of all, once we, and I say we as citizens, the government, parents, individuals, once we can bridge that gap between the poor and the well-to-do, because the gap is so wide, I think that's a um, step. A, a, a society where the average Nigerian is not earning $75 a month, a society where a computer graduate does not know how to turn on the computer, a society where um, parents, the governments, everybody feels responsible for education. Do we want that change? 
when I say we, I mean the society. Like we on this panel can talk from here to high water, but is it what they want? Because what I was saying about the girl that says her family thinks a girl should not be educated. How are you going to tell that family education is important when they already don't have the values? Ms. Abby pointed that out. Dr. Amar pointed that out. The mindset of parents, of teachers, of individuals, I think it starts with us. Mr. Mm. Amon Boyer, thank you. Thank you, BC Alimi. Thank you, Abi Shotimino. Thank you, Dr. Amma. I thank you everyone for being a part of this conversation. I want to say a special thank you to Alero and Jerry Rhymes who joined us. Um, subsequently, please drop your messages so you, we can also get your thoughts on all of these conversations. That's our show today. Thank you for being a part of it. We'll be back next week with another exciting one. I am Nifemi Ogunsoye. Goodbye. This is the Thinking Reimagined podcast, sponsored by Allied Empowerment. Allied Empowerment Consultancy offers leadership and innovation through bespoke human development solutions, brain-based leadership, and coaching. Allied Empowerment empowers business leaders, teams, and individuals to intentionally accentuate desired outcomes built on trust, curiosity, psychological safety, engagement, and communication. Allied Empowerment thriving in a sustainable and value manner.